Good evening. My name is Sebastian Shaw. And I am not here to hurt you. Friends, there's a revolution coming when mankind discovers who we are, what we can do. Each of us will face a choice. The enslaved will rise up to rule. Choose freely, but know that if you are not with us, then by definition, you are against us. So, you can stay, fight for the people who hate and fear you, or you can join me and live like kings. Welcome, ladies and gents, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 132 on sale April, well, on sale January 15th of 1980, and the cover date is April 1980, and this one's titled, And Hellfire Is Their Name, Oh. Finally, the book uh, was written and sold in the 1980s. Oh, yeah, you're right. How about that? <laughs> uh, for those of you keeping track at home, uh, I have now entered the Marvel Masterworks, The Uncanny X-Men, volume number five. And I forgot to mention that the last week's episode was the last in the omnibus. And seeing as the second omnibus does not come out until April or May, I, uh, I went to my local library and picked up a copy of the Dark Phoenix Saga. Which I am now reading from. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, neat. The 30th anniversary edition. Is it hardcover or softcover? It's hardcover. Okay. Oh, neat. Any, uh, any? I mean, no spoilers, of course, but is there any like uh, bonus material in there? There's a ton of bonus material. Okay. Which I mean, I will. I've memorized, and we'll talk about when we get to the relevant uh, areas. And it's one of them is like a classic X Men story, so that one we're just going to cover when we get there. Okay. And then there's like a what if. Oh. And then there's alternate endings and uh, all sorts of exciting stuff. So, yeah, the this Marvel Master... So far, most of the Marvel Masterworks up until now have been fairly thin. They've been pretty much just the issue, uh, the issues as they were presented, uh, as well as um, uh, maybe an intro by either J- uh, Stanley or um, Chris Claremont. But this particular one, uh, they really go the extra mile. It's much thicker than the other ones. It has uh, uh, Phoenix the Untold Story, which we'll probably talk about when we get there. As does this. And I believe the omnibus that, that's coming out does too. I'm sure it has all of this material. Uh, a couple of sketches that, that we would have seen if things had happened differently. Some alternate covers, uh, some additional artwork. Uh, like I said, Bizarre Adventures. And then there's also uh, an interview uh, between certain Marvel creators about a certain storyline that when we get to, uh, I think I want to do something with Adam. So I read that as well. It was, it was very informative. I have not read it yet. I'm kind of just leaving that for, for well, after the story wraps, basically. It was quite good. I, yeah, I'm excited to read it. And I think we're going to, uh, I haven't pitched this yet to Adam, so uh, I'm doing this on the podcast live. Like, uh, I think we're going to do something no, with it. No. Yes. <laughs> oh yes, we are. So look forward to that, folks, and and maybe Adams uh, uh, nixes it, and then and then well, this is all that you have. So yeah, this is uh, X Men number one thirty two, and on the cover it features well, she's the last one. The Hellfire Club has defeated the X Men, so I think for the first time we get full face view of 
the inner circle of the Hellfire Club. There's more than just the four of them, isn't there? Um, well, there's the queens, but that's about it, I think. But these are the only mutants? The queens are mutants as well, but I believe, yeah, the inner circle, these four, are the only mutants. For some reason, I thought the inner circle was bigger. It probably gets bigger. Uh, this issue is the winner of five Eagle Awards, or I guess it's declaring that X-Men is the winner of five Eagle Awards. And I'm sure back in 1980, that probably meant something to someone. Yeah. I I, I always kind of wondered about that because, you know, uh, comics in our, our days would win Eisner's or this or other awards. And you as the reader would be like, I don't know what this is, because even even at this time, there was no there was no Internet for sure. There was no wizard comics. So what was to let a young reader know that an Eagle Award is something cool? Well, an Eagle Award is, uh, I did some research, and it turns out that they gather together a group of 10 Eagles and uh, every comic that's out that month, and then they see which ones the Eagles eat. Oh, well, this is one of the most edible issues that month, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think Marvel probably lined it with seed or something just to just to get a leg up. Probably those dirty jerks <laughs> so the, this inner circle of the hellfire club one of which we recognize jason wingard uh, i believe we recognize the other one is sebastian shaw but i don't know that we know who the other two are not yet i think their first appearance comes in this very issue we are about to read but they're uh pushing over storm who is landing on a pile of nightcrawler cyclops and colossus no wolverine mysterious yeah that is kind of weird so let's open this thing up uh we see that it's written co-penciled or co-plotted rather and penciled by chris claremont and john byrne terry austin is the inker tom orzachowski is the letterer glennis ween is the colors and we have a new editor in J uh, jim salakrup yeah jim shooter is still the chief the chief of editing and right out of the gate we uh the angel is here right where we left off we were uh we were seeing that the angel was doing his taxes, and uh, and we we pick right up from there. Really? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> no, the angel was not in the previous episode. Okay, uh, but this is his New York City, or not uh, his New Mexico, rather home, where, which we saw previously in the Incredible Hulk annual. Yep. So that's a nice tie-in. Yeah. Yep. X Men are apparently needing a haven to. I don't know, just be be safe. This is where the angel lives. In case you've forgotten, everybody, it's in, uh, what, New Mexico? Yeah. Something like that. So the X-Men all show up. Um, he's little seen the X-Men since he left the team, so he barely knows Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, and Wolverine. Yet these people and their mentor, Professor Xavier, are closer and more important to him than his own family, especially that Dazzler guy who tried to kill him and his father, <laughs> who's dead. Yes. Is, yes. his, is his mom alive? No, his mother is also, also dead. Okay. So. She died off panel. Well, I suppose her, his, her, his father did too. So, yeah, it was just kind of mentioned. Colossus uh, compares, or he, he thinks that this is a beautiful country and it's a beautiful home. And Wolverine's like, whatever. This ain't nothing like Canada Rockies. Now that's beautiful country. And that's when uh, Angel and Marvel Girl do a full-on kiss on the lips. Which, you know, isn't a big deal if it was just like a peck, but he's got his hand on her chin. This is pretty intense. I think it's inappropriate. 
Um, and this is, I got to be honest, this is kind of what shaped, not this particular issue, but this sort of relationship carrying on is kind of what shaped my idea of what being an adult would be like. Is <laughs> like you just be kissing your, your female friends all the time. Like, hey, it's good to see you. Full on kiss on the lips. And uh, I don't know that that's really ever happened much in my life. <laughs> well, you know, people do like uh, greet each other with like, you know, pecks on the lips and stuff like that. Sure, but this is this is this is not just a this is not yeah. just a quick peck on the lips or or the cheek or the forehead or whatever. And nobody seems to care. <laughs> nobody, not even Candy Southern, who comes out and she's like, "Well, she does say, keep it up, wings, and Scott is the least of your worries." Yeah, but she's got a big smile on her face. She's cool. She's down. You know, she's had uh, Angel with another girl at some point in their relationship. <laughs> <laughs> X-Men meet Candy Southern. She and I are what People Magazine call an item. <laughs> All right, Scott, what brings you to this neck of the woods? You sounded pretty serious on the phone. Well, Warren, I just wanted to see your short shorts. And I wanted to see another man kiss my woman. <laughs> nice tank top. So, uh... You avenging angel outfit? It's the 80s, after all, so I wear a headband now. And uh, wristbands, too. Uh, So he wants to talk with Warren somewhere quiet, so Angel picks him up, and I guess they're upside down flying. Why do you say that? Uh, Well, it looks like as he picks up Cyclops and they swoop upward, we see the front of both of their bodies, and then down below we see the tops of two cars and what I think is that kooky X spaceship thing oh, okay i see what you're saying yeah i assume it's just part of the uh the liftoff yeah i'm sure not, they're not gonna fly the whole way there upside down <laughs> well no but it's it's pretty uh it's pretty acrobatic and really really comments on angel's strength here if he can just pick them up like this is angel wearing converse sneakers they kind of do look like uh chuck taylor's <laughs> well the professor well first of all candy uh, ever the the woman of the household uh, has lunch ready for the X-Men and she makes sure everybody knows that. No, she, they've got a maid. Come on. <laughs> oh, good point. And that's when the professor, always needing to be in charge, is like, thank you, Miss Southern. Go with her X-Men. I'll be along directly. <laughs> I have to think to myself. <laughs> I need to be alone to do this next bit of thinking. First, Scott disobeyed my instructions by bringing the X-Men here in, instead of to our New York headquarters, and now he flies off with Angel without even a word of explanation, even though it kind of looked like Angel just took off with him. He, he really had no control over that, but I'm still mad. I do not understand why he's behaving so strangely, and I do not like it. I, if only there was a way that I could try to understand what he's thinking. Hmm. <laughs> If only I had some type of power to be able to... Nah, the hell with it. I'm going to have a ham sandwich. (laughs) And so he takes... uh, Angel takes Cyclops to a boot. Is it a boot? I don't know. Ever since that Hulk uh, episode we did a while back, I I still don't know if it's pronounced butt or boot. Do you think it's the same one? It could very well be. I don't know. Was Angel in that episode? Uh... I don't think he was. I don't think so, no. Uh, I think he was kidnapped at the time. I think it was Havoc and Lorna that was in that episode. Right. With the butt. 
anyways, they're at they're at the butt. They're at the top of the butt, and uh, they, <laughs> <laughs> Angel has taken him here because uh, it's private. Or Angel has taken Cyclops here because it's private. There's no microphones, and and who's going to bug a butt? I got to say butt one more time. All right, I'm done. <laughs> bug a butt. <laughs> And so they get to the top. And Scott explains what happened in the last few issues about how the X-Men were kidnapped by, or some of the X-Men were kidnapped by the Hellfire Club and they were attacked and going after mutants and Phoenix fought the White Queen and the White Queen apparently committed suicide. I'm not sure how they figured that out, but... Well, the building blew up uh, and... Uh, Phoenix came out, but the White Queen did not come out. So they they've made the assumption that she died. But how is that suicide? Oh, good point. <laughs> I guess that's just because Cyclops doesn't be, want to be like, well, and then the X Men murdered her, <laughs> or Jean murdered her. I guess actually is what it would be. Well, it wasn't Jean's fault either. I mean, no, nobody blew up the building. I mean, somebody did, but it wasn't either of it wasn't Jean or or Emma. Uh, Cyclops also goes on to talk about how uh, the fight was pretty crazy between the White Queen and Phoenix, um, that he had never seen that type of power. And he mentions that the people that uh, kidnapped them and were attacking them were called the Hellfire Club. And Angel flips out and he's like, are you sure? I'm a member of the Hellfire Club. So is Candy. I inherited the membership. My folks passed away. It's an old, very stuffy, yet risque establishment club. It is It is pretty risque. Candy and I visited it once before I told the world I was the angel. We didn't like it. We never went back. So whatever the White Queen uh, learned about the X-Men, and that's the other thing that Cyclops is talking about, is whoever these people are, they seem to know uh, the X-Men's next move, which is why he went to New Mexico in the first place, because uh, he, he thought that this Hellfire Club would have expected them to go back to New York. And that's what he couldn't tell the professor. I'm not sure why, but whatever. <laughs> it's probably just not talking to the professor. The professor's a jerk. I'm mad at you. I'm I'm a I'm a man now. I put up I put up, I put up with enough of your crap, old man. <laughs> Gene shows up. You fellas have been talking for hours. Time for a break. I brought a picnic basket. She comes in pretty much right on cue as he is talking uh, to Angel about the power that Jean used and how she's been being odd lately. And that's when she shows up. Apparently, she can hear her name, but she can't hear that old conversation. Or maybe she didn't. She doesn't care. She's like, ah, whatever. I got the power of the God. I don't care about what you guys say about me. Angel realizes that he's uh, three the, three's a crowd, and so he heads off back to his house and that's when uh marvel girl starts unwrapping her picnic and transform hers her outfit into a nice kind of picnicky sort of summer clothes it's like a i want to call it a bikini but it's not it's like a halter top with like short shorts she did it again changed her costume from street clothes to by telekinetically arranging rearranging the molecules of her outfit why do I find that so disconcerting? Why shouldn't Jean use her psi powers to make her life easier? You're brooding. It's what I do best, babe. <laughs> and I've got a lot on my mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, this panel where uh, Cyclops or Angel is flying away yeah. at the top of this page, Cyclops looks really, really goofy. Bye, Angel. Have a nice day. Sure thing, Warren. Running a multi-million dollar business has been good for that guy. 
Golly. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, Ainge, mm-hmm. Jean says that it's time for her, uh, Cyclops to get a break from being the leader. It's time for him to be Scott Summers, lover of Jean Grey. Who knows? He might even enjoy himself. And that's when she takes off his visor and he screams, No, my eyes! My deadly eyes! If I open my eyes even fractionally without the visor's ruby cord shield to contain my optic blasts! Open your eyes, Scott. Nothing will happen. I'm telepathically keeping your optic blasts in check. I wanted to see your face. That's all. I've never seen it. <laughs> you have a good face. <laughs> oh, thanks. I uh, grew it myself. <laughs> I don't believe it. My eyes. My deadly eyes. How can Gene hold back all that power? Gene? I'm totally going to make out with you, but I'm just going to think about things while I'm doing it. Hush. No questions now, my love. No words. Can I still think about my deadly eyes? (laughs) They're deadly, you know. They're deadly eyes. This is our moment. Let's not waste it. And the panel goes on to say a week passes. So I'm to to believe that they've been on that butt for a week. They've been doing it for for a week. (laughs) Just... Just getting it on. And every time they get hungry, Gene whips up, like, some food out of the sandstone below them. <laughs> it's just gamey and nasty up there for a week of their nastiness. They've been surviving off of dirt and random animals. So I'm led to believe that this, I mean, uh, may they may or may not have ever done it in the past, but they have definitely done it here. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we can agree on this. They they made cable. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this is the day that Cyclops lost his virginity. <laughs> Not Jean. Oh, man. She's been all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and so a week passes, the scene shifts, and they're now in Manhattan. Apparently, Angel has used his connections, or I guess his membership, to get four false passes to the Hellfire Club, basically to get uh, Storm Cyclops... And, uh, Storm, Cyclops, Colossus, and Phoenix into the club uh, with false IDs. Do you think they talk about Colleen while they're up on that butt? Jean's reading her mind, his mind, being like, who is this Colleen person? <laughs> I have no idea. I wonder if, like, Colleen ever mentions Scott in Power Man and Iron Fist. I don't know. Uh, when we get to the end of this issue, uh, hopefully I'll remember, but there's an interesting letter that I want to follow up on. Uh, see, this is the one one area where I am lacking. This uh, Phoenix Saga, Dark Phoenix Saga, does not have the letters pages. Well, neither does the Marvel Masterworks, but I have my other sources, you know. Ooh. <laughs> so four of the X-Men were granted passage through false IDs, but two X-Men, Wolverine and Nightcrawler, were not. They have to take the sewers to try to get into the club. Well, I think it's part of the plan. I don't yeah. I don't think they have to take the sewers. I think they wanted to send some people underneath to, uh, you know, for a surprise attack, just in case. No, I think Cyclops was like, we could all go in there and it would totally work, but I'd much rather just see these two guys use the sewers. So here's the plan, everybody. Yeah, but then, like, Nightcrawler was like, but I refuse to use my image inducer. And Wolverine was like, and I refuse to take off my costume, Bob. The professor's like, see, this is why I need to be in charge, Scott. <laughs> your your mutants are insubordinate. This would never have happened in my time. You know, Professor, I had a pass for you, too, but I seem to have lost it. <laughs> what? <Jerk. laughs> I guess I'll stay back. <laughs> 
So they're going through the sewers. They're they're uh, talking about the communications cables and all of the uh, electricity and such that's going to the Hellfire Club. And it's a little crazy. Nightcrawler somehow knows that this is way more cables than uh, this place needs. This is the type of cables that would go to a skyscraper. Well, he has a degree in uh, engineering or something. I don't know. <laughs> Back in Munich, I was a professor of science. Uh, extended by mental command from the backs of Wolverine's hands, adamantium claws flash in the light of his lantern. I, it's interesting. I never knew he controlled his claws by mental command. What else is it going to be? I guess it makes sense. Like a button implanted in his palms? Yeah, like this, a Spider-Man button. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I, I look, they, they keep figuring out that they want to add some realism as much as realism as mentally extending claws can be but rather than it just happening they're like look it's it's wolverine has a thought impulse and these claws extend out of his his uh his his hands so i, I kind of like that that they keep just dropping these little hints i just never really thought about it you know well apparently either somebody wrote in or chris was like you know what we need to tell we need to tell how these claws come out yeah because Claremont was like, I decided that I really need to add some extra words to describe more about Wolverine. <laughs> so uh, he slashes at the cables. Nightcrawler's like, Wolverine, what are you doing? Cable is like, what are you doing, man? Why are you cutting me? I'm not even supposed to be here right now. <laughs> Relax, Elf. All I did was strip the insulation off these power lines. I'm that good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the best at what I do. When the water hits them, they'll short out. Probably blow every light in the club. Maybe. I don't know. My <laughs> degree in science also might say that. Who knows? It's whatever the plot requires. Neither of us have degrees, do we? <laughs> <laughs> we barely graduated high school. <laughs> if something goes wrong tonight, a surprise blackout could come in handy. Or it could be the worst thing as we're sneaking up on the Hellfire Club and all the lights go off unplanned and we don't know it. And then we get caught. Hmm. Maybe this wasn't a great idea. I'll be able to see at least, and nobody will see you. <laughs> I've got heightened senses, remember? <laughs> and you disappear. Very nice, my friend. Very sneaky. Now, have you ever stripped a wire? Yes. Yeah. It's harder than just slashing it, that's for sure. It's harder than just slashing it with claws extended from the back of your hand, let alone using precision wire clippers. Even mentally extended from the back of your hand. Wolverine is the best at what he does, Adam. <laughs> and what he does is apparently stripping insulation lines. Yeah, back in Canada, I used to be an electrician. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Cyclops and company pull up in their car. Uh, hey, is this the first bub? Or has he said bub before? And I've just never noticed bub. it. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I, don't I do my know. best, bub. Listeners who have been paying closer attention than we have, is this the first bub, or was there a bub earlier? Hmm. Questions. I don't know, Adam. It feels like something that I would have recalled, but I, I don't. Maybe it is. So the car that the professor, or I mean, I guess Cyclops is driving, has a two-way television back to the, not the mansion, I don't think, or is it the mansion? Must be the mansion. This is a fancy, is this the limousine? I don't Chaz know. One? I don't know. Could be. Doesn't really say. But Cyclops is having a conversation over the two-way television with uh, uh, Angel and Professor X. Scott, I do not like the idea of you and the X-Men blithely walking into a potential death trap. Why is Angel in his outfit? 
I wondered the same thing. So the plan is that uh, Professor hangs back to kind of monitor progress or something. Angel also hangs back. So if all of the X-Men get captured, at least Angel is there to like mount a rescue. But why is he hanging back in his costume? I have no idea. It's kind of it's kind of silly. I like to wear my costume sometimes. Do you see my muscle tone? Because if I didn't have my costume on, you wouldn't. That's true. Maybe <laughs> he's showing off for the professor. You know, professor, it has been a while. <laughs> I've gotten so much stronger since my time with the X-Men. Hire me back. Ah, uh, yes. You don't approve of Scott's plan, professor? It's not that. I, I'm still unable to establish my psychic rapport with the X-Men. They're going to into action, and I won't be able to help or guide them. Would, would, did, have we known before that he was unable to have his psychic rapport with the X-Men? I don't know. This is It's not very well explained here, and I was kind of uh, assuming that it was because they were entering the Hellfire Club, and maybe the Hellfire Club has some telepathic dampeners. But I actually think now that I've reread this, or you just read it to me, that maybe since he got back from space, he's been unable to establish his telepathic rapport. I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? So they, uh, the X-Men enter into the Hellfire Club. Um, Colossus and Storm. Colossus and Storm do at least at this point. And Colossus is, oh... Uh, these clothes, they feel marvelous. It does not feel right. Wear a suit that costs more than my father's earns in an entire year. I am no good at clothes wearing <laughs> or earning father's pay. And so they're walking around. Um, or Storm says basically that they are the uh, bait for the trap. Aurora, even I have heard of some of the people here. Some of them are my countrymen. How could they, such as they, plot the destruction of the X-Men? That's what we're here to find out. So that's when um, Cyclops and Phoenix come to the front door. I guess they have got like some two-way radios that they're talking through, or are they doing this telepathically? Uh, she, Jean uses her telepathic power to oh. keep Scott in constant touch with his teammates. Okay. She is once again wearing an extremely uh, cleavage-exposing dress. So, yes, she oh, is. American hustle. Yes, she is. She, uh, they walk past a guy who looks like the guy in the next panel. Who well, we'll learn yeah, is I, I think that's just a coloring issue. I, I, I mean, I've, a lot of these Hellfire people dress the same. And are colored the same? Yeah, I think the coloring is just, uh, I don't know. Okay. It was a bad coloring choice. Let's put it that way. Well, we do find out later what Pierce is, so maybe there's multiple Pierces. <laughs> I don't think there are. Look who's here, says Pierce. His name is Pierce. His companions are Shaw, Leland, and Wingard. Together they form the nucleus of the Hellfire Club's inner circle, inner circle, a secret society dedicated to the acquisition of power in all its myriad forms. Now, do the does the Hellfire Club... I know that there's like the White Queen and the the White King and the Black King and the yeah. Black Queen. Do they? Other than that, do they have? Uh, I can't think of them, but do they have like superhero names or supervillain names? You know, I was I was wondering that myself, and I don't. They're always referring to them as like Emma Frost or Sebastian Shaw or Harry Leland or Jason Wingard, who obviously does have one. 
I I think like the White Queen and the Black Queen, not well, the Black Queen after this Black Queen will say like I'm so and so the Black Queen or I'm Emma Frost the White Queen, and Shaw, I think he's the Black King. I can't. Yeah, remember. he's yeah he's the Black King, but yeah. But they're not like that's not their that's not their name. I'm I'm the Black King and I'm evil. It's just that's their title in the Hellfire Club. It's kind of neat that they don't have like special names. Uh, yeah, I think that they just they literally literally just go by their last name. Kind of lends to the reality. A little bit, yeah, sure. I don't know if we learn anybody's first names in this issue other than we know it Yeah, we 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 do. Oh, all of them? I I don't know if we learn all of them, but we definitely learn a few of them. Okay. Anyways, all right. Well, we'll just move on. Uh yeah, so Pierce recognized them. Um Gene or uh, this is when Shaw says, "Look, the time is now, Wingard." For weeks, you've been saying that Miss Gray is yours, body and soul. Tonight is your night to prove it. She can lead. She you. can lead our attack on the X Men. For your sake, I hope she succeeds. So, Cyclops and Jean are dancing at the ball, and they're, I guess, doing some reconnaissance or something. See, here's the thing about these: whenever a panel says "meanwhile," I'm assuming that it's taking place at the exact same time. Right. So, Jason Wingard shows up in the next panel. It throws me off. Right. It should be a few minutes later or yeah, something like that. But yes, you're right. Meanwhile should mean like, meanwhile, at the same time. Uh, so yes, they're dancing. And that's when Jason Wingard sweeps in and says, Pardon me, sirrah. Whatever that is. May I cut in? They use sirrah a few times in this issue. Do they? So it must be a, a proper term. Maybe it's like an... Uh, old English type thing since they're very traditional. Uh, Jean has man- mind scanned everyone in the room and they're all perfectly normal. In fact, she's yawning. She's so bored. Mm. Everybody's so normal. Mm. Not like my dress and all my cleavage. <laughs> so Jason sweeps her away from Cyclops before he can say anything. And mid sweep, the whole uh, background turns into uh, the, I don't know, 1700s, 1800s, something like that. It's a cool panel because they kind of divide it into halves. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the right half, we have all the early uh, whatever century people. And on the left half, we have Cyclops and, and all the modern people. I think it's 18th century because it's 200 years ago. And that was the 20th century. So we'll just we'll just go by century. <laughs> And uh, Cyclops has turned into like some cowboy, not even a cowboy. He looks like more like a like a peasant, whereas everybody else is uh, very elegant and. He looks like Paul Revere or something. He does. He's like an infantryman. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's kind of my like all He's these minuteman bourgeois bourgeois. Is that the right word? People bourgeois. Sure. Bourgeois. I feel like there's another syllable after that, but. But anyways, bourgeoisie. Yeah, bourgeoisie. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, are all you know? They've got. It looks like they've got their little monocles on that little stick that they hang up to their eyes, and they've got elaborate hats. And then you've got Cyclops, who's just got his vest and a little uh, satchel and a hat. Is that Ben Franklin in the background? <laughs> it kind of looks like him, doesn't it? Wow. Let me show you what I can do with a key and a kite, everybody. <laughs> What the? It's electric. (laughs) Cyclops thinks to himself, that's Jason Wingard. So he must have talked with Gene about who that dude was at this point. Because how else would he he know his name? 
This is a lot like what happened the night Gene and I first met Dazzler. He moved in, said hello, and the next instant he and Gene were kissing, like long-lost lovers. And now, one look at him, and it's as if I don't exist anymore. I don't like Wingard. There's more to my feeling than jealousy. This is where, in New Mexico, Jean told me about her time slips, random episodes where she found herself shifting in time to a life where she was meeting up with her ancestor, uh, who was married to a man named Jason Wingard, and, and hailed as the Black Queen of the eras of that era's Hellfire Club. <laughs> and he's just now thinking to himself he doesn't like Wingard. I don't like this guy. I mean, they should be like, <laughs> they should be on the lookout for Wingard. Yeah, like, hey guys, Gene's been telling me about a guy named Wingard from 200 years ago, and he's right there. Maybe we should concentrate our efforts on this guy. Well, they, they like, I mean, they're going into this situation knowing full well that Jason Wingard is probably there. Oh, yeah, yeah, really? Because, like, last issue, Gene scanned uh, and discovered that Jason Wingard was a member, and she didn't tell uh, Cyclops right away, but apparently, according to this panel, she's told him everything. Huh. So if I was Scott, I would be like, Gene, it's probably for the best that you stay behind. Yeah. And Gene would probably be like, you know what, Scott, you're totally right. Something's going on. It doesn't feel right. So I'm going to stay back at the mansion. Angel's going to come in my place. You'll go as early 80s gay lovers, and that'll be okay. Well, maybe that's what happened. And so Angel changed into his costume, but then uh, Phoenix was like, I'm the Phoenix. I can do whatever I want. That could be. Everybody and forgot to tell Angel to change her back to his costume, out of his costume. So Wingard takes Jean and leads her upstairs, and that's when Cyclops is like, Jean, wait up, Jean! She's ignoring <laughs> me. What kind of hold does Wingard have over her? He thinks to himself, I can't believe that these time slips and Jean's total fascination with this Wingard creep are a coincidence. <laughs> yes, that's why he's the leader. It's quite a leap of logic there, buddy. <laughs> and as they head upstairs, Jason Wingard is not there anymore in his place is a man smoking a cigarette. It is the mastermind. <laughs> Who apparently does not ever appear without a cigarette. <laughs> well, would you, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> what? That face? Mastermind! He shouts into the room and everybody turns and they're like, what? What? Who's mastermind? The night the X-Men met Dazzler, Scott saw Jason Wingard's momentarily silhouetted in the headlights of the X-Men's Rolls Royce. Throwing a shadow on the wall behind him that didn't match his face, Scott should have recognized the Master of Illusion, but he was in a hurry with far more immediate worries on his mind, and so he made a mistake. I'd better get to Jean fast if she's under Mastermind's influence. And so... Adam, isn't this exactly what Mastermind did to Beast all those issues ago in Amazing Tales, Stories, Fantasies, whatever that was? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, didn't something happen to Beast first that, like, wasn't he punched out by Iron Man or something? Or or I forget what the order of it was. But I, I, I don't, did, did Mastermind cause that to happen? Or did he just take advantage of something that was already happening? No, Mastermind created a reality for Beast that made it appear as though he had killed Iron Man. And then that's when Beast lost it and headed out towards the woods. And Mastermind kept creating illusions to drive the Beast towards them. And that's when they recruited him for the circus. But it, essentially, that's the precursor for the... Maybe that was his practice. Like, hmm, if I can perfect this on Beast, maybe I can perfect it on Jean Grey, who I know will become the Phoenix and very powerful. 
<laughs> However, at the end of that story, Mastermind went mad. That's true. <laughs> we never un- we never found out why he became unmad, and I believe he was turned into a baby, and then uh, he was he was well, I guess off panel. Uh, Eric the Red made him an adult, right? Was he was he turned was he one of the ones turned into a baby? I think so. It was it was Blob, uh, Magneto, and I swear it was Mastermind. Wasn't Lorelai there? Lorelai was there too. Yep. Speaking of Lorelai, have you been watching Agents of Shield? Uh, no, it's not the greatest show. I don't <laughs> recommend it. But Lorelai was in it this week. Really? Huh, yeah. Interesting. Apparently, they've changed her into an Asgardian, but, mm. you know, still, it's kind of neat. It has the same powers and everything. I haven't really been able to get... I, I watched the first three episodes of the show, and it's just like... Eh. It's not very good. It's, it's slowly getting better, but, yeah, it's not very good. It's kind of like Torchwood, which is kind of like the X-Files. So, <laughs> they're all just copies of the X-Files to me. I don't know, every episode I saw so far was like... Oh, there's a special uh, hero or, or somebody with special powers, and then you just find out that they stole robot parts or got injected with serums or whatever. I don't know. It's kind of a letdown. Have you seen True Detective yet? I have not seen True Detective yet, but I heard it's good. It's really good. Yeah, isn't that on HBO? Yep. Yeah. No, I should I should check that out. That I hear. You definitely good. you definitely should. But that doesn't have anything to do with the Marvel universe, does it? There's a guy named Casada. Oh, okay. <laughs> but but no. <laughs> well, he was a Joe Casado was he was an artist, wasn't he? And then he was the editor in chief. Yeah. Yeah. And now they've created a new position for him now. I forget what it is, but he's like the uh the chief marketing dude or something. Master of all Marvel. Cuz Axel Alonso is editor in chief now and Joe Casado is still something important. But, but Adam, what, what about this issue? I want to get back to this issue. Seen any good movies lately? <laughs> Uh, I watched all of the, almost all of the Oscar nominated films. Oh, really? Wow. Yep. It's the first year I've ever done that. That was exciting. All right. I guess we can go back to the comic <laughs> oh. hand. <laughs> you don't want to talk about 12 Years a Slave? I haven't seen that yet. Or I've, Saving I've Mr. Banks? Or, good. Or... The only one I've seen that was nominated, what is it, Best Picture, was uh, I saw Her and I saw American Hustle. Hustle. I haven't seen Her yet, so I guess I haven't seen them all. I liked her a lot. I thought it was I thought it was fantastic. It's the best movie I've seen in a long time. I haven't seen her, Philomena, or Blue Jasmine. Like I like I watched the Oscars and like every movie that was mentioned, I I, I said, I'm gonna watch this. <laughs> and I've watched most of them. I've I've seen the first half hour of Blue Jasmine, but I haven't finished it yet. Okay. Well, with that said. So Cyclops running after Mastermind and uh Jean Grey suddenly gets blasted with a mighty sp- Blow! Arg! He shouts, and it turns out that Jean Grey has converted into the Black Queen and blasted the crap out of Cyclops. Magnificent, my love! But the Hellfire. Well, actually, he would be like, uh, like magnificent. I can't. How do I can't do an English accent now? Well, isn't he Scottish? Magnificent, my love. No, that's not it either. All right. Well, the X Men or the Hellfire Club <laughs> let the X Men alive. Worry not, Jason. Had the Black Queen struck to kill, there would be nothing left of the lad but ashes. Aroro, did you hear that sound? And was that a man's scream as well? It is so hard to hear to be sure of over the noise of the party. I know good at hearing. <laughs> I know good at parties. 
I am sure, Peter, my hearing is almost as sharp as Wolverine's. What? Well, that's interesting. <laughs> that's a new power. <laughs> it was a man's scream, Cyclops's scream, and the sound was one of Phoenix's energy blast. What the hell? She recognizes the sound of Phoenix's <laughs> energy blasts. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is bad writing, because I don't think this comes back ever. <laughs> Aurora's heightened audio senses. Does she really need to recognize the sound of Phoenix's energy blasts? I mean, she could just be like, I think that was Cyclops screaming. We should go check it out. She doesn't have to have advanced hearings or anything like that. She could be like, oh, didn't, didn't you hear it? It was a splow. <laughs> Clearly that was one of Phoenix's energy blasts. It sounds like somebody screamed. Let's go check it out. There you go. I that's, solved the problem. That's much better dialogue. <laughs> Upstairs, Colossus, quickly, our friends must be in danger. So Storm just magically turns into her Storm costume. Colossus, of course, bursts out of his clothes and into his Colossus outfit. Always wondering where their shoulders come from. <laughs> yeah, there's a hell of a lot of starch in those shoulders. And those boots. <laughs> yeah, how did he contain those boots under his suit? He must have had one heck of a tailor. <laughs> Good heavens, says one of the bourgeoisie. Our trap has sprung. Goddess grant that our powers are sufficient to deal with whatever was snared. And that's when they meet up with Sebastian Shaw, who has taken his shirt off. Yeah, I don't... Apparently this is his costume, and I don't like it. <laughs> it's white boots, green pants with a yellow belt. So it's kind of like half of, what, Iron Fist. Well, it's the same costume he was wearing before. He just took off his jacket and his vest and apparently his t shirt and tie. And uh, he added the little belt. It is very Iron Fist. Uh, yeah. He's not wearing slippers, though. He's wearing very nice shoes. By whom, little man? By you? Do not make me laugh. Uh, he says after Sebastian says... I'm going to hurt he punches you. Anybody. He holds back, Colossus holds back his punch because he doesn't want to kill him. Uh, and, and he hits him with a loud brack. And then Lennon's ghost. My blow had no effect. Is this the first Lennon's ghost? I don't think so. I think he said Lennon's ghost before. I know he said by the white wolf. Ooh, Adam, you might be right. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is the first Lennon's ghost. Huh. Wrong, my tin-plated comrade. If anything, your punch has made me stronger than ever. And he hits Wolverine or Colossus back with a loud crackow. I like this panel because uh, Sebastian Shaw is kind of between Colossus's flying legs. <laughs> yeah, it amuses me. And Sebastian Shaw lip leaps towards Colossus, and this time is like, okay, well, I, I held back last time. This time I'm not going to. So he kicks him as hard as he could, which would have smashed a tank. Which just makes Sebastian stronger. Uh, and Colossus picks up, or uh, Sebastian picks up Colossus and throws him at Storm, who just manages to dodge and he uh, says uh, uh, sir yield and I will be merciful and she says never it's your funeral then so she knows that she can't let Shaw get a hold of him so he's going to make a pea soup fog around him that should hide her um, he has to find or she has to find a way to uh, warn Nightcrawler and Wolverine remember them and Professor X 
Forgive me, little brother, she thinks to herself about Colossus. Yep, because she's like got to leave him behind. Yeah. I like that she, she calls him little brother. Meanwhile, in probably my favorite panel of the entire comic book, Nightcrawler is popping out of a hole in the floor, and you see Wolverine's little cowl tips in his claws. Why are his claws out? <laughs> I have no idea. Presumably, he dug the hole that they are now crawling out of with his claws. That looks just dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> We're in month for the so far so good. Yeah, the scaper's going down easy. A little too easy. I've been feeling antsy all evening. You scratch my neck. Thanks, uh, dude. I can't get out. Can you can you throw me a rope? <laughs> I'm too short. <laughs> so for some reason, he's like, any news from Psych or Genie? Now, they're all telepathically connected. Why does Wolverine have to ask Nightcrawler this question? <laughs> this is why earlier in the in the podcast I was like, oh, they must be using two-way radios, and only Nightcrawler is set up with one because Nightcrawler's like, nine, I'm beginning to get worried. Could be nothing as the old saying goes, no news is good news. Maybe the first hint uh, of Wolverine's extremely complicated mind is here. Ah, could be. And And they're unable to form a psychic connection with Wolverine. Could be. And that's when out of the shadows comes the man known as Pierce. Urgh, says uh, Nightcrawler, which is uh, German for Urgh. <laughs> In your case, Goblin, the lack of news could have fatal consequences. And that's when Wolverine slashes his arm off, but somehow manage like how, how does this even happen this makes no sense <laughs> what do you mean wolverine like slashes his arm that would cut his arm off regardless of what he was i mean you can see he goes from above his arm to below his arm therefore he made it through his arm oh see and i had thought that he did but i guess you're right in the next panel he's still holding on to he's flinging wolverine away but he's still got his other arm the cut arm on uh, Nightcrawler. So, like, this is... It, I don't know. It's, it's This is one of those things in comics that I don't really care for either, is that whenever they're fighting a robot, like, it's okay to break skin and cut appendages off. But if Pierce were to have been a human, he would have missed or something. Well, yeah. But but you're right. I mean, this, this claw should have gone right through his arm. But Apparently, apparently he does miss. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm good at stripping wires, but I ain't so good at cutting arms off. So he flings them away. Uh, Cripes, you're a flaming robot. Not quite, Wolverine. Donald Pierce is a cyborg. A cybernetic organism, part man, part machine. A living being with the power of a juggernaut. In fact, he's right here. Say hello, juggernaut. Hey. (laughs) Where's Black Tom? Yeah, I know all about cyborgs. I almost became one myself. That will apparently be retcon of sort. <laughs> <laughs> Forget I said that because it'll be retconned into that never happened. <laughs> I get what they're kind of saying. Like, you know, you could you could interpret that as sort of a, a thing, the way that it plays out. But I wonder if they had like a different direction. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, remember, Wolverine was supposed to be a giant talking Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how Len Wein had created him. You may be a six million dollar man, Bub, but when I'm done with you, six billion bucks won't be enough to put you back together again. I'm afraid I can't allow that, dear boy. Come on, he doesn't talk like that. Sure he does. He's a fat man. 
You're welcome to try and stop me, Tubby, at your own risk. The name is Leland, Harry Leland, Harry Leland. And your challenge is accepted, dear boy. Stop you, I shall. And Wolverine starts getting really, really heavy. That's when Harry Leland reveals his power is to control mass. He increases, I guess he can probably also decrease, uh, he can control the mass of objects around him, of objects and people. And he makes Wolverine weigh so much that he goes all the way through and back into the sewers. But I think that was not the intent. Because even Harry Leland is like, my goodness, as Wolverine crashes through the floor. So I think what they're indicating, because we've already talked about it earlier in other issues, that he weighs more than a normal five foot four man. So when Harry Leland increases his mass, he's going from like a 400 pound man to like a 1200 pound man. Well, yeah, at this point, we do know he has an adamantium skeleton. So. Right, right. Or do we, or is it just the claws? I can we, never we, remember this crap. We know <laughs> at this point that he has, uh, quote, adamantium bones. Right, right. We haven't learned that his bones are laced yet. Correct. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so Wolverine gets uh, sh- uh, flushed away into the sewers, and that leaves Storm flying around trying to find somebody to help. I feel like if that were true, though, and there was this like discrepancy with Harry Leland not knowing his weight and therefore him going through the floor, Chris Caramont would have written a panel describing like, Harry Leland does not know, however, that Wolverine's bones are made of adamantium and therefore he's heavier than blah, blah, blah. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just a mixture of the two. Oh, here's the where I got the radio piece uh, because Storm says... I can't raise Nightcrawler or Wolverine on my radio comlink. Have they been attacked too? So, somebody had a radio. Yeah, I guess maybe she had a backup radio. <laughs> she she kept sewed into her costume. The Hellfire Club beat us so quickly, so easily, in God's name, how? How? <laughs> she tried blasting through the windows, but apparently they're resilient to her powers. And there's only one route left for her to go, and that's down the stairs. But that's when she is caught by uh, still a shirtless Sebastian Shaw. <laughs> Surprise! Ooh, <laughs> my ankle. If Shaw tightens his grip, he'll crush it. I only have one chance to... Got it. Oh, but he grabbed my cape. Ah! <laughs> she gets flipped around. <laughs> She's got to let go of the cape. Yeah, it seems like more of a liability than anything else. Or you'd think that the cape would be like a quick breakaway thing, you know? So if somebody grabs it, it would just like pop right off and be like, well, okay, you got my cape. Didn't we determine in a in like an annual somewhere that it was kind of a tearaway thing? Like when Nightcrawler grabs it? I Maybe. but In annual number three. Yeah, maybe. I think you're right. But not here. Here it's, she's stuck to it. I like your spirit. I like a woman with spirit, Storm, but not too much spirit. You should have learned from Colossus defeat. I absorb kinetic energy. The harder anyone strikes me, the more powerful I get. I told you before that if you yielded, I would be merciful. But you resisted. Now you pay the price. And he punches her. No, he rams her face into the ground. Yeah, uh, knocking her unconscious. With a loud crumb. I mean, this looks this looks more uh, uh, than just knocking her out. I mean, this looks like there's like some the bloody face damage. Yeah, this is pretty violent. But in the next panel, she's fine. Just knock down. Of course. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've exercised my mutant ability. I'd forgotten how good it felt. Mm-hmm. 
It's been a long time since I shot somebody. Felt good. What movie is that from? Uh, Return of the Jedi. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember. Uh, Anyways. So he takes uh, Storm behind a purple cloth where the rest of the Hellfire Club is pouring wine. The Black Queen, a.k.a. Phoenix, a.k.a. Jean Grey, is also there. And they're celebrating. Scratch. Ha! Wolverine cut through your precious bionic arm like it was made of butter, says uh, Jason Wingard to uh, Donald Pierce. It was true romance, right after uh, What's-His-Face shoots, shoots Dennis Hopper in the face. Oh, okay. What's uh, uh, what's his name? I can't remember. Uh, uh, Christopher... Walken. Walken. Yeah, that's that's where that line comes from. Yeah, anyways, they're they're all celebrating. Uh, the woman in the back who has no name right now, but I think she'll get a name much later, she dresses Shaw. He puts her, yeah, puts his robe back on her. I don't, yeah, I guess it's a robe. Uh, Shaw is thinking to himself about how Wingard is deliberately provoking Pierce, but he's really challenging me. Wingard is as much a natural leader as uh, as I. Sooner or later, he'll make his bid to take over the inner circle. Positive that so long as he controls Phoenix, our Black Queen, none of us will oppose him. I, I do not agree that Mastermind is a natural leader. <laughs> I believe that he is a corny, third-rate villain who has somehow lucked his way into the inner circle of the Hellfire Club. Well, not only is Mastermind manipulating Jean Grey, but he's also manipulating Shaw into believing that he's awesome. Oh, okay. You know, Shaw kind of looks like um, uh, uh, Ricardo Montalban in this panel here. <laughs> Frequently, yeah. <laughs> Where he's grinning ear to ear. Kind of looks like... Khan! <laughs> exactly. And this, I guess, this would be, uh, uh, what was it, Space Seed Khan and not Wrath of Khan Khan. Because Wrath of Khan wouldn't have been out yet. Well, right. Wrath of Khan. Well, Space Seed Khan didn't look like this, though. Wrath of Khan Khan did. Now, Space Seed Khan had black hair and it was pulled back in a ponytail. He didn't have the big mutton chops. Was it pulled back in a ponytail? Totally. Well, it was either pulled back in a ponytail or it was brushed straight back. And in, in maybe, oh, maybe it was kind of like a Bob type deal. I'm going to go watch Space Seed after <laughs> yeah. this. It may not have been a ponytail, but he had longer hair pulled back straight and it was black. Anyways, back to this. Uh, uh, they all toast the Black Queen, who is smirking. Yeah, Wingard was about to start a fight and release a phoenix saying, oh, you really need to be, but everybody's like, come on, guys, shut up. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Sebastian Shaw. I, Sebastian Shaw, propose a toast to the Hellfire Club and our Black Queen. Long may she reign. As for our captured mutants, by the time we finish them, the X-Men may well wish they'd perished with Wolverine. I don't know why they think Wolverine has perished. They don't. Well, yeah, actually, it doesn't make any sense because they've been monitoring the X-Men. They know all about the X-Men's power so they would know that he has a healing factor and all he did was fall through the floor. So Wolverine, uh, his hand comes out of the water and he grabs a pipe and pulls himself up and then he looks into the camera and says, okay, suckers. You've taken your best shot. Now it's my turn. This is a very iconic panel. Very, yes. This is like this is like one of my all-time favorite Wolverine panels. Yeah, there should. I'm sure there are, but uh, posters. I know that they frequently use this uh, as in promos or in like the ad sections of comic books. Uh, it's a great panel, though. Yeah, he is wrecked, and he looks like a bad mother. Oh yeah. Next, Next issue, Wolverine. 
alone. Nuff said, bub. Nuff said, indeed. So, in the letters section... I wish he had said, okay, futzers. <laughs> okay, futzers. <laughs> this time it's personal. Um, bring it up here. A couple of things were brought up. Um, a letter from Brian Kane in this issue. He wrote, uh, he had like 10, 11 points that he wanted to talk about. But uh, the, the only one I want to talk about is uh, uh, point number two. It was good to see the X-Men reunited. Uh, and they're referring to X-Men 113, I think. Reunited and it feels so good. Or actually, yeah, I don't know what issue they're talking about. But uh, but why didn't Misty Knight say something in issue 18 or 118 like, hey, I just left Jean at the airport, which she had done the issue before. Wow, I wish I had seen this letter. And the answer was, let's see, that's number two. Uh, and this is written by Chris Claremont. Uh, I decided she should say nothing, so she said nothing. In retrospect, <laughs> that may have been a miscalculation. So he kind of admits that that, that was kind of a little plot hole. Uh, whatever, he doesn't care. There's another, uh, uh, Charles' affections for Gene haven't been mentioned since X-Men number three. This would make an interesting <laughs> subplot. And Chris goes on to say, that's easy for you to say. I think Scott and Gene have enough problems of their own without bringing Xavier in for con uh, complications. Besides, there's the Lantra. But it's good to know that Brian Kane was out there being like, hey, I got a beef to chew with you guys. There was another letter written by Breen Allen. He wanted to know some stuff about Wolverine, uh, specifically his name. He wanted to know what Wolverine's first name was since we know it's Logan. So he's assuming that Logan is actually Wolverine's last name. Hmm. And the answer is... James Howlett. James Howlett. It's right here. It's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Logan Logan? Hang on, hang on. Logan Bub Wolverine? Finally, Wolverine has no first name. His name, pure and simple, is Logan. Friends call him that. Bureaucrats call him Mr. Logan. Everyone else calls him Wolverine or Sir. If they use anything nastier, they soon learn the error of their ways. Wolvie, as we like to call him, may be taciturn, but he is also the kind of person no one ever forgets. So, even the letter section gets retconned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this guy's also asking for, like, details on Wolverine's background, and, and Chris Claremont's like, don't hold your breath. Like, we really like just giving you little tidbits of Wolverine. So... They're not hiding it at all here. They're like, we don't know. Actually, there's something in here like, if we just told you everything, it would be less interesting than uh, you making up, you imagining what it is. Like, we can never compare it to that. So you'll only ever get little bits and pieces until... Until they threaten to come out with a movie and then we're going to be like, uh-oh, we better just reveal the whole origin. Yeah. I know you weren't a big fan of that Wolverine origin story, were you? Uh, it kind of didn't add anything to the story of Wolverine, so no. <laughs> I I guess that's an accurate statement. Except for that, like, uh, scene that they replicated in the Wolverine Origins movie, which was the very opening scene where he, the little little kid Wolverine, pops his claws for the first time. Yes, I like that kind of, scene. It's kind of iconic. Um, yeah, that's it. We got, I think we got some letters this week, or at least one, didn't we? Uh, Jake Ivey uh, hit us up on Facebook. 
um, talking about uh, when Chris Claremont lost his way. Apparently, he uh, subscribed to Marvel Unlimited and has been reading a lot of the back issues, and he was feeling that Storm going punk and the introduction of the Rogue story is uh, when things kind of got a little boring and it felt like Claremont was writing down to the audience. I wonder if we inspired him to subscribe to Marvel Unlimited, and if so, we should get a cut. <laughs> I don't know. See, the thing, I, have, I guess, uh, and he talks about uh, there are still some good issues and storylines leading up to X-Men number one. I'm assuming he's meaning the Chris Claremont, Jim Lee, X-Men number one. But the majority of the issues are almost unreadable. Uh, and he realizes that that's when the X-Men were hugely popular. Uh, was he trying to attract newer audience uh, or was he becoming full of himself at making the title more important than it really was? Uh, or is it something that you've noticed or did he turn into a snob when he hit 30? That's a really good question. All of those are good questions and points because um, the arc that we're currently in is probably regarded as the greatest, well, aside maybe from Days of Futures Past, but uh, probably regarded as the best greatest arc the x-men have right to their credit i mean they keep drawing from it for i mean how many more phoenix stories have they told since this phoenix story right one no they've told a bunch there's been a few like phoenix end song phoenix war song i'm just kidding how do i can never tell with you (laughs) uh but it's hard for me to gauge because like this era while they're great stories and it lends it builds to everything that i grew up with this isn't these aren't my x-men this is not the x-men that i grew up with i grew up with the rogue storyline and the punk storm storyline so i'm a bit biased towards those so it'll it'll be interesting to reread those with fresh eyes now i i would say that probably oh 10 years ago i think i read uh, just for the hell of it, X-Men 200 to 250 over the course of a few months. And I, you know, that was 10 years ago, uh, but I enjoyed it then. I, I feel like I'll enjoy it this go around. I know there's a few duds in there for sure, but you know, you can't maintain the streak permanently. Right. I remember an episode, like a, uh, an issue where they, it's like something about men and oh. aliens invade the planet. That's yeah, and 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 maybe I could extend that to say like right after that's that's when they go to Australia and like that whole Australia timeline. There's there's a few good things that happen in there, but I really feel like the entire Jubilee discovers Wolverine. That's great. There there is a great story in there, but there's a lot of stories that surround that that our guest artists really feel like fill in issues. Uh, like Sylvester and Green were like I think off the book for a while, and it was just like Rickley and Nardi start uh, type art. Um, and that's where that men story comes from. And you read it and you're like, this is stupid. Like this isn't the X-Men. And there's the, the girls episode, which is where they meet Jubilee. And like, it's great. This is where Jubilee came from, but it's really bad. Cause they came right off the coattails of Inferno, which was in my opinion, kind of a half good, half bad story. Um, but at least the creative team was trying to put all of their creative juices into creating this cross uh, title story. And then you go to like the women and the men story, which is bad. Just my feeling anyways. I liked the women one. With the, I did it was the, the it had like the M squad, just like these like nerdy Ghostbusters guys. Oh, that's right. That part was really terrible. <laughs> it was that was the majority of the story. I like the fact that they go to the mall and shop or something. Well, yeah, that all works. And, and they try out and clothes. And... Yeah, and they're like, we're people for a little while. And then the M-Squad shows up. You're like, ugh. 
I forgot about the M squad. They're pretty <laughs> forgettable. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, I, I, Chris or Jake, rather, I, I'll have to like reserve my judgment to to when we get to that period. But I can tell you that I don't know. I've 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 certainly read issues one seventy five all the way up to a lot. <laughs> I don't know where, and I, I, uh, that's kind of my space. Like one seventy five to two fifty is kind of my space. What do you what do you think, Adam? I think I haven't visited MySpace for a long time. <laughs> it's full of rock bands now. <laughs> uh and I think that's it for for letters. Actually, you said uh, somebody had commented on episode number 3 to let us know that a JD was a, a juvenile delinquent. So, that means that people are revisiting the archives and that's fantastic. So, if you're just catching this episode for the first time and you would like to get back to the archives, Go out to www.xmenpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there. You can listen to them. Uh, you can post a comment on your favorite episodes. There are links there for iTunes and, and other ways to get to our podcast. But you can also just go into iTunes, type in Danger Room in the podcast section. We'll come up. You can subscribe. You can download. You could leave us a little five-star review. That would be fantastic. You can follow us at Danger Room Go. You can also go to our Facebook page, Facebook dot com forward slash danger room podcast and finally if you like to do it old school you can uh, email us danger room at redcatproductions.com and there's 501 get x-men but nobody people are refusing to use that i don't know why people are afraid of the phone it is old technology i think you can i, I think we i said this before but you can text it you can send a text message to 501 get get x-men and we will we will get that text message. So totally, it's it's we've got all forms of commu- Like if we could get a telegraph, then we would have all of them. But I don't know how you get a telegraph. <laughs> <laughs> all right, with all of that out of the way, let's uh, well let's dive into this classic X Men tale. This was a weird one. This is the. Um... Uh, this is Classic X-Men number 38, the October 1989 issue on sale, June 27th, 1989. And it is titled Strangers on a Lift. The cover features Cyclops on his knees with his arms outstretched, watching Jason Wingard hold the hand of Jean Grey, who is in her Phoenix garb with her arms around him. Now, it's not colored, so do you think it's the Phoenix garb or the dark Phoenix garb? I think it's the Phoenix garb. They're kind of the same. They're similar. <laughs> I don't know. But maybe, I don't know. She's Well, she's happy here. She's never happy face. She's evil happy when she's dark Phoenix, but she's never like happy happy. So that's why I say that. Cyclops is definitely not happy. You can, you can practically hear him going, no. My eyes, my deadly eyes. <laughs> Jason Wingard's hair is on fire. And inside, you get the uh, little inside piece, which is Jean Grey in a very seductive pose, holding a picture of Cyclops. She's wearing some of the Black Queen outfit, uh, and the Phoenix costume is burning behind her. This one is by Anne Nocenti, art by Kyle Baker. The cover and front piece here is by Steve Lytle. So let's just... Uh... Pretty sum, pretty much summarize this in about four sentences. But uh... <laughs> so Dazzler gets into an elevator with Alfred Hitchcock, <laughs> and they walk into a bar. Bartender says, "Punchline." I don't. I don't hey, know. you the Dazzler? <laughs> yeah. So basically, Alfred Hitchcock uh, 
tries to scare the crap out of Dazzler and succeeds uh, by stopping the elevator and the lights go out. She gets all scared. Yeah, it's a very lo- they're in the elevator for a very long time. It keeps stopping. The lights keep going off. There's lots of loud noises. Every time the lights go off, Alfred Hitchcock moves over a little bit further and at one point is right behind her. She's getting freaked out. She's thinking to herself. But when she finally gets off of the elevator, it really looks like the elevator is letting her off in the middle of a highway. <laughs> it's it's well, you can tell it's not a highway because of the the poles. Yeah, the poles just look like they're on a bridge, like a divided highway with a bridge. Well, yeah, I agree with you, but I think it's clear enough that it's not a it's 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 a car park, not a highway. But I see what you, I see what you're saying. The art in this issue is not great. <laughs> Dazzler does not look like Dazzler. She actually kind of looks like Annie Lennox. Well, I think that's the point. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Same era, same kind of Annie Lennox comes straight out of the whole uh, punk disco sort of thing. Sure. It's very, very 80s. So she heads towards her car, but then a car is coming towards her. And that's when Alfred Hitchcock, a very fat man, springs out of nowhere and like saves her but then handcuffs her to a post. Sorry, ma'am, just a little joke. Don't be scared. It's boring around here. Just a little bit of a joke. (laughs) Oops, where's the key? I'll go get it. Be right back. (laughs) And then Dazzler zaps the uh, handcuffs with her light power, and she runs, and she's shooting things, and then she sees the fat man who's kind of stuck because it's dark, but apparently she can see, but he can't. There he is, confused, scared, just like I was in the elevator. Now it really begins. All I need is a little music to give my power some juice. Now, I did not know that her power was controlled by juice or music. (laughs) It's not controlled by music. It's controlled by sound. She converts sound into light. Oh, okay. Yeah. They didn't, they don't, I don't think that that's described very well, at least in the X-Men. We'll hear a little bit about it in Amazing Spider-Man, but I don't think they really flesh this out for quite a while. So she dazzles Alfred Hitchcock, scaring the crap out of him, and then she says, I'm Dazzler. Why did you purposely try to scare me half to death? And Alfred Hitchcock then reveals that my love is film. I'm a filmmaker. I am obsessed with fear. And I've noticed that late at night, this is a very scary place. And then he opens his mouth as wide as it goes. I merely wanted to study fear up close. (laughs) For my next film! <laughs> I'm sorry, truly sorry. Well, you've got your chance to study fear. Have you enough material now? Quite, Quite enough, enough Miss. Thank, Thank you. you. The end. Now I can make birds. <laughs> now, obviously, it's not really Alfred Hitchcock, but... No, it's not, but it's, it's clearly a, Alfred Hitchcock. It's a big fat man who directs movies. Um, About fear. Uh, I don't... It literally feels like at Marvel, they're like, anybody got anything? And Anna Senti's like, <laughs> I, I don't know. They're in the elevator for like 25 panels. Good. Run with it. <laughs> oh, fine. Like, even she doesn't care. I didn't think it was a bad story. I just thought it was kind of out of nowhere and had nothing to do with anything. Yeah. I don't know. Well, speaking of Dazzler... I did some extracurricular reading this week. Whoa! Oh my god! I read Fantastic Four number 217, 
which doesn't really have all that much to do uh, with Dazzler. Adam, did you read this one? I did. Good. Well, uh, this is actually my first exposure to Herbie the Robot. <laughs> Although I knew Herbie the Robot existed because he's actually a playable character in the Marvel Super Heroes Lego game. Really? Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> he's a bonus character. You have to like beat the game and then you can buy him as well as like uh, 70 other uh, Marvel characters, but seventy. Wow, I don't know if it's seventy, but it's a lot. There's like a hundred total playable characters, which is kind of neat, right? Because you're like, oh, you can play. I can't even think of. You can play like super Z level characters uh, in the yeah. game, which is neat. Uh, but anyways, the story is. Uh, well, I'm not going to cover all of it, but basically, Herbie goes crazy uh, because they had just uh, been attacked by Blastar. You remember him, right? Yeah. Blastar came to the Baxter building and attacked Franklin Richards, but they repelled him, but they decided they needed to upgrade the Baxter building's security. So they sent Herbie off to do some upgrades, but then Herbie gets taken possessed or possession of, and he's crazy and he's, he's not good anymore. But, 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 uh, the human torch, he doesn't know that because he goes out to the disco <laughs> and, uh, he wants to go dancing tonight. And for some reason he's made a promise to himself that he's not going to use his powers. And, of course, once he gets to the disco, that's where he first lays eyes on a lovely lady who we recognize as Dazzler. Who She's still not as Allison Blair yet, right? Nope, she's just the Dazzler. Dazzler's being flirted with by a drunk man who wants to dance with her, and that's when uh, Johnny Storm comes up and says, Hey, you leave her alone. And this guy who who's drunk, I guess, is like, well, you're not her boyfriend. What makes you think you can butt in? And that's when Johnny Storm flips him over his head and then uses his power like he said he wasn't going to to make a little four in the air. And that's when the guy's like, oh, my God, you're the human torch. And Dazzler's all like, I'm afraid I'm leaving. And then he's like, oh, man, just because I use my powers. Then he goes up to Dazzler's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to use my powers. I'm not trying to show off. I've had some girlfriends, but... But they see my powers and then they leave me. And, and I thought, I thought, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my gosh. But that's when Dazzler's like, no, you thought I was turned off by your power? Well, I wasn't. I thought it was fantastic. I thought you were fantastic. And now it's time for me to go on, Johnny. And the Dazzler doesn't like to miss a performance. And she sings. Yep. And Johnny Storm's like, she's terrific. Yeah, just like Cyclops. Meanwhile, Herbie captures all of the Fantastic Four, essentially, blasting Ben into the negative land, or negative zone, or whatever it's called. Uh, Mr. Fantastic saves the thing and calls out the, the number four to bring everybody back to the uh, Baxter building. So it, I got a question for you. Is yes. being terrific a part of her mutant power, or is she just happens to be a really good musician? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, or am I getting her confused with Lila Cheney? Lila Cheney... I don't really so Lila Cheney is like like is actually the talented musician like she's the one with the record deal. Okay, so she's a legit musician. She's totally legit whereas Dazzler's just trying to break into the scene. So I think she's trying to carry the attitude that goes along with it. And I don't know is Lila is she even a character yet? No, she's not. Oh, okay, okay. Uh cuz eventually uh Dazzler will play backup vocals to Lila in their band. Oh. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. That's cool. 
So uh, they're dancing. Uh, uh, Johnny Storm and uh, Dazzler are dancing. They're having a good time. And that's when the number four comes out. And you'd think that this would be a great time for Dazzler and Johnny Storm to fight side by side to save the Fantastic Four. But no, Johnny Storm just leaves the Dazzler. Because <laughs> <laughs> he too doesn't like to miss his performance. Nope. So he goes off and essentially the Fantastic Four defeat Herbie, who was taken over by some dude named Dr. Sun. And Herbie sacrifices himself and dies. I cried. Did you? No. <laughs> it's like my first introduction to Herbie and he just goes and commits suicide. It's horrible. Oh, he'll be back. I'm sure there's a Herbie Mark II. So there you go. That was uh, that was Dazzler's appearance in the pages of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. We also, or I also read Amazing Spider-Man number 203. This one's uh, got a little bit longer of an appearance with uh, Dazzler. She's dazzling, he's deadly, and Spidey's caught in the middle. Guest starring the sensational Dazzler. Dazzler. So it would have been kind of neat. Like, um, Actually, I should say that the last issue was drawn by John Byrne and written by Bill Mantlo with a story inspired by Marv Wolfman. I don't know if any of that matters. but John Byrne's just drawn up a storm. Yep. In this issue, uh, Marv Wolfman is writing, editing, uh, and Mike Esposito, who who is pretty famous, he's on the inks, but Keith Pollard is penciling. I don't know who he is. Uh, yeah, and so it would have been neat for this story to have tied in with the last story, or vice versa, but it doesn't. So Spider-Man's swinging around, and he sees Dazzler on her roller skates being chased by a giant ball of light, and he assumes that it is Will-O-The-Wisps, who... Which is a classic Spider-Man villain. Yes, who was, I guess, blasted away into atoms or something. So she's being chased... Uh, Spider-Man does a lot of thinking to himself that he's got to save her. She doesn't really know what's going on, but she knows that she keeps being chased. Uh, Spider-Man saves her, and that's when Dazzler passes out. Then Dazzler wakes up a little later, and she's like, I don't know about you. I've read the Daily Bugle, and they say some pretty nasty things about you. I don't know if I should trust you. And that's when she hears a man with a boombox down on the street corner listening to some tunes, and that's when the music coming over the radio fills her body with strength. So I get the I, I get where you got the idea that her power's uh, fed by music. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. I, I assumed from this that it was music as well. But no, now now that you say it's sound, I, I do, I do kind of know that. I just forgot. I thought it was interesting that she knocks Spider-Man out with a mini disco ball that she carries around. Well, this is the other inconsistency. So her costume in X-Men and Fantastic Four contains a, a disco ball necklace. And I've never seen her use it, but apparently the music goes into the disco ball and she uses the disco ball to fire back light at Spider-Man. Oh, no, light? That never happens again, as far as I know. Uh, and so Spider-Man goes flying. He makes himself a little springboard to save him, and then she loses the Dazzler. Harry Osborn and Flash Thompson show up to uh, take Spider-Man, or I guess Peter Parker, out to Star Trek, because it is the 80s, after all. The motion picture. The line goes all the way around the block for Star Trek, starring William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. So there's your answer. Star Trek 2 has not come out yet. Oh, it wasn't a question, dude. It was a fact. Wrath of Khan was not out in 1980. But I guess this would be the confirmation to my fact. 
<laughs> uh, Flash, I guess, has got a girlfriend, so don't worry. They're going to get tickets into the uh, into the Star Trek premiere. But meanwhile, behind the movie theater, what a coincidence, the light ball finds Dazzler again and is chasing her and eventually hits her in the back. And she kind of floats around and she's being, I don't know, like, I guess light is coming out of her appendages and is forming into a dude named... Uh, I don't Light know. Master. Light Master. I don't know who Light Master is. I don't either. <laughs> is he just a, a new villain, or is he a classic villain? I don't know. He says, I shall hunt down the man who killed me. And Spider-Man recognizes him, so he must be a Spider-Man villain. So Dazzler's all like, what happened? And he's like, I'm I'm powered off of light, and you're powered off of sound. Well, he doesn't say that. But I'm powered off of light, so you're going to be my battery. I'm going to take you, so come with me. They have a very brief fight, and uh, uh, we get a we get an artist's rendition of some Klingons on the movie theater screen. Were there Klingons in the first Star Trek movie? There were. I don't oh, okay. know if you got to see the Klingons' faces, because I don't think I've ever made it through Star Trek the motion picture without falling asleep, <laughs> but there are definitely Klingon bird of preys, hmm. or birds of prey, I should say. And that's when the theater screen blows up, and some theater patrons are like, wow, man, these special effects guys are incredible. It looks like the theater's on fire. And they're like, yes, it is. Get out, run, Spider-Man's uh, Spidey sense tingles and off he goes and he fights the light master and he's like, oh, I know you. I thought you were dead. And they fight a little bit. And this light master guy apparently can convert light into mass, I guess. So he he turns a pair of or light into some symbols, which he symbols Spider-Man. He <laughs> makes a light fly swatter, which he tries to swat Spider-Man with. It's all pretty bad. Uh, but. Spider-Man gets flung away. The Lightmaster puts a ball around him and Dazzler, and they go floating off to Lightmaster's lair, which we'll learn later is the university. I guess he was the head scientist or something at ESU. So Lightmaster took Dazzler up to a machine, and I gotta be honest, like this is not cool. Like there are little probes on her face, on her belly, and if you look on page seventeen, there are some on her boobs over her nipples. i don't know how this made it past the comics code but you know i could see him being on her shoulder or her belly but like really like right on her nipples well anyways apparently there's some sensitive light that he needs to extract from that part of her body well yeah (laughs) nipple light the most powerful light there is Spider-Man bursts in and he's like, oh, yeah, you're the headmaster, whatever, vice chancellor of ESU, so I knew you'd be here. And they fight a little bit and things blow up and Lightmaster appears to disappear. So Spider-Man rescues Dazzler, but it turns out that Dazzler has actually been, become Lightmaster. And so Dazzler as Lightmaster or Lightmaster as Dazzler, whatever, fights Spider-Man for a while and there's a chase and a fight and... Spider-Man has to take a nap, and then he has to go drop off pictures and visit Aunt May and go <laughs> teach. There's like Spider-Man just goes and takes a nap in the middle of the story. He sleeps for 10 hours. He does. A bone-weary Peter Parker barely trudges home, and when he does, he falls asleep quickly for 10 hours. So apparently the fight with Dazzler and Lightmaster was really taking a toll on him. Lightmaster at some point reveals that Dazzler's concerts have been powering him. Yes, that's what brought him from, like, he was apparently atoms just floating around. And as 
Dazzler's music was playing. I don't know why it had to be Dazzler's. His <laughs> particles were getting, I don't know, denser or pulled together or whatever until her final concert where he was made complete or complete enough to take over her body or something like that. Anyways, Spider-Man's swinging around and uh, amazingly enough, just like he does typically do, he finds Dazzler, uh, but it's not really Dazzler. She fools him or Lightmaster fools him. Well, he put a spider tracer on her. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. And uh, Spider-Man this time decides he's not even going to bother fighting Tesler. He just uh, puts spider webbing all around her and takes her to the lab and, uh, I guess, hooks her up to the machine, turns the machine on, and sucks the light master out of her. <laughs> Essentially, that's what happens here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Tesler's like, oh, Spider-Man, I myself... Again, I'm myself. Uh, I owe it all to you. How can I ever repay you? Don't worry, beautiful. I have a strong hunch we'll figure something out. Wow. So Spider-Man and Dazzler just do it right there. <laughs> the weird thing is Spider-Man doesn't take his mask off, though. <laughs> of course not. So he's just totally naked with his mask on. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the Dazzler there. That's the... Uh, the the mind-bending introduction of Dazzler to the Marvel Universe. Yeah. A cameo in Fantastic Four, a very lame story in Spider-Man, and I guess a decent a decent role in the X-Men. She was definitely more fleshed out in the X-Men than these other two issues. Yeah, she, she does some stuff. <laughs> it's almost as if uh, Bill Mantlo and uh, uh, whoever wrote that Spider-Man issue were like, oh, God, we have to use Dazzler? Fine. <laughs> I uh, I also read Marvel Team Up number ninety featuring Spider Man and Beast, and uh, they are both of the nineteen eighty Technology Exposition. And Beast is surrounded by girls, of course, who are also at the nineteen eighty Technology Exposition. And Peter Parker's girlfriend Sissy also finds the Beast incredibly attractive, so she leaves Peter for Beast. And also at the exposition are Killer Shrike and Mar- Modular Man, who I guess are reject Hulk villains. And they steal a microwave-driven cellular condenser in order to restore Modular Man back to his not-modular form, I guess. Okay. Uh, They easily beat Beast and Spider-Man and steal the microwave-driven cellular condenser. Luckily, uh, Beast, who is given a concussion, has special metabolism that heals him. Wait, what? (laughs) What? I guess it's just another part of his power that we're learning about. He had a healing factor, and then he lost the healing factor. Well, it's back as they need it. Oh, okay. (laughs) And uh, Modular Man uses the condenser to become a being of pure energy and uh, betrays the killer Shrike. And, um, yeah, then then Beast and Spider-Man, who have managed to track them down, uh, you uh, destroy my modular man and Shrike escapes. Spider-Man feels really bad. Let's just let Killer Shrike go because I didn't mean to kill modular man. Oh, oh no. And that was issue what? Issue 90. Oh, issue 90. Hmm. You do any other reading? Nope. All right. Well, then it's a, it's a, it's a brisk 80-minute podcast, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> any final thoughts, Adam? Um, No, no. All right, then. Uh, Until next time, the danger room is closed. We read that the Hellfire Club was an exclusive English club that met sporadically during the mid-18th century. 
Its purpose, at best, was to mock traditional religion and conduct orgies. At worst, it involved the indulgence of satanic rites and sacrifices. The club to which Franklin belonged was established by Francis Dashwood, a member of Parliament and friend of Franklin. The club allegedly took part in basic forms of satanic worship. In addition to taking part in the occult, orgies and parties with prostitutes were also said to be the norm. Franklin's connection to the Hellfire Club is disturbing enough, but becomes especially dark when one considers the grisly discovery made 200 years after his death. On February 11, 1998, the Sunday Times of London reported that workmen have dug up the remains of 10 bodies hidden beneath the former London home of Benjamin Franklin, the founding father of American independence. The remains of four adults and six children were discovered during the restoration of Franklin's home at 36 Craven Street. The Times reported that initial estimates are that the bones are about 200 years old and were buried at the time Franklin was living in the house. Most of the bones show signs of having been dissected, sawn, or cut.